Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. Just a few housekeeping items before we get into the part two of the Aaron Hernandez saga. I've been taking a little bit of ribbing because of my accent. And I guess during the first portion of this two-part series, I used the word funeral parlor. Yes, that's right. Funeral parlor. That's what we used to call them where I grew up. And people are incessantly mocking the way I say it and how it sounds. So I've been taking some good-natured ribbing. But here it goes. I'm going to fully pronounce the word. Funeral Holler. I hope that's better. And actually, some of the emails coming in wanted to know what a parlor was. I don't know if it's an old Irish term, but it's an old term for your living room, right? And the word funeral parlor comes from the fact that relatively recently, the funerals were held in people's homes in the parlor. That's where the coffin was for a day or two so people could pay their respects. People couldn't afford to go to a funeral home. That was for the upper crust. The two toilet Irish, as they used to say. And on a more serious note, guys, I've been called out for a little bit of bias in this case because one or two of these people who had emailed in said, typically I kind of rough up the perpetrators in these crimes, like specifically, I call them losers, jokers, fools, whatever. And I didn't do this in the Aaron Hernandez case. And I think I got a cop a plea on this one. It's true. I do have a strange feeling about Aaron Hernandez. I do think he's a complete monster. I do. I'm just so intrigued as to what went wrong here because he could be a good kid. And he was a kid, guys. I mean, at 23, he's let out of his mansion in handcuffs. I just don't know what went wrong here. But one of the emailers pointed out, maybe I'm just too big of a New England Patriots fan. And that may be true. But I do see Aaron Hernandez as a monster. But the emailers are right. I haven't been as aggressive with Aaron Hernandez as I have been with those maniacs up in New Hampshire or the people who may have kidnapped Brianna Maitland, right? So I have to cop a plea. I plead guilty. Put me on probation. And also keep the emails coming. I love to correspond with you guys. I've got some great show suggestions, and we're going to put them in the queue. So that's good news going forward. And if you want to get a hold of me, my email is barry at bostonconfidential.net. All right, guys, let's get back to Mr. Hernandez. Last I left you, I think Aaron Hernandez was just graduating from high school, and it was 2006, and he had previously committed to attending the 
University of Connecticut, UConn, on a full scholarship, which was offered to Aaron at age 14 years old. And originally, Aaron was looking to play again with his brother who was finishing up. I don't know if it was his last year, his senior year at UConn or his junior, senior year, but he wanted to play with his brother DJ again. But he was now deemed to be the top tight end in the country. And larger football programs were calling for Aaron. And I believe Nebraska was interested, Boston College, who had just moved up a division, I believe, at that time. And a lot of other schools, he really could have went anywhere he wanted to. But at a certain point, the University of Florida, and I believe at that time they were the second-ranked team in the country, had just won the national championship by trouncing Ohio State. This game wasn't even a close call, I remember it. So this all coincides with the untimely death of Aaron's dad, Dennis. And Aaron had been spending a lot of time at her cousin Tanya Singleton's house. And this is where Aaron met some certified gang members. And things were just going off the rails. And I think he could even formulate that getting out of Bristol, Connecticut would be a good thing. And it would be difficult to decline an invitation from the University of Florida to come down and see their stadium. I don't know if you've ever seen this stadium on TV. They call it the Swamp. And the University of Florida is situated in Gainesville, Florida. It's a beautiful town, but the University of Florida is the centerpiece of the entire city or town. I believe it's a city. It's a major employer. It's a draw for the area. A lot of the businesses, because their football team is good so often, They've built a massive business structure around the university. The police are somewhat deferential to the university and its students because, quite frankly, they know where their bread is buttered here, right? So at that time, Urban Meyer was the coach of the University of Florida football team, and obviously they had just won the national championship, and they invited Aaron to come down see the facilities and talk about playing with them. Full scholarship, naturally, right? And he gets there and Aaron Hernandez loves the University of Florida. Almost immediately puts out a press release that he has signed on to the University of Florida to play with Urban Meyer. And people back in Connecticut were a little bit upset because he had committed to play for UConn. But how can you blame the kid, right? It's a big leap. It almost guarantees Aaron Hernandez, a player of his stature, entrance into the NFL. Would that have happened at UConn? I don't know. I don't know if it would have, quite frankly. So the staff of the Florida Gators was concerned about Aaron's mental health issues, right? Because he had just lost his father, and he'd tell you straight up that he was lost over it. But he'd quickly developed a good relationship with Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer's wife, who was a psychiatric nurse. Coach Meyer did have Aaron speak to his wife, and they laid out a plan to improve Aaron's grief, really, his grieving process. 
And Aaron was fully on board. He'd go into Urban Meyer's office. They'd read the Bible together. They'd pray together. But pretty quickly around campus, Aaron started having problems. Not right away. He fit in with the team almost immediately, and he loved it. And when Aaron is involved in something, I think he gives it his all. And he loved it. So he was going to class. He was known as a class clown, a joker. He'd go out at nighttime with other guys on the football field. Remember, he hadn't played for the Gators yet. But when you come on scene as the top-rated tight end, you're treated like a celebrity. Everybody on that team is treated like a celebrity. Restaurants and bars have your name on the list to let you in. Do they care that you're underage? No, they do not. At least they didn't then, and I'm assuming it's the same way now. Let's be adults about this. So these kids are treated like celebrities, and Aaron Hernandez was among them. And I don't know if people remember this, the quarterback at the time for the Florida Gators was Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow and Aaron Hernandez clicked. They became great friends. And Urban Meyer had actually assigned Tim Tebow to keep an eye on Aaron Hernandez. And Tim Tebow did just that. And I know a lot of people say when Tim Tebow went to professional football, he wasn't a very good quarterback. But at the collegiate level for the Florida Gators, he may have been one of the best college quarterbacks ever. He didn't successfully make the leap to the NFL. He's a hell of an athlete, though. I think he also played baseball. And what everybody remembers of Tim Tebow was that he is a visible Christian and he wears John 316 on his eye makeup and he had worn it on his shoes and all this other stuff. He was a big Christian. Everybody, I think, knows that about Tim Tebow. But Aaron Hernandez's tenure at the University of Florida kind of went off the rails right away. And that may have more to do with the atmosphere set up at the university. And it's kind of like Gainesville is the entire university, right? The members of the team were kind of given carte blanche around town because the restaurants wanted them in the restaurants and bars because that was a draw. But when they got treated like this, these young kids, some of them coming from nothing, right? Are treated like celebrities and they can't really handle it. It goes straight to their head. And I think that's what happened with Aaron Hernandez. So that takes us up to about April of Aaron's freshman year. I don't even think he had taken the football field yet or maybe just for practice, but the guys were out at a restaurant or bar that was frequented by University of Florida football players and their supporters, which was everybody in the area, right? So a bunch of the players were out at a bar restaurant called The Swamp. That's also the nickname of the stadium in Gainesville where the University of Florida plays. So this was definitely a sports bar. And Aaron goes in there. He's sitting down. I believe he's 17 at this time, but he looks like a grown man. I know I had mentioned to you that in high school, Aaron had grown to about six foot one, over 225 pounds. 
But by this time of Aaron's life, he was six foot four, 245, all muscle, looks like a grown man. You'd see him and you'd never think he was 17. So the group goes into the swamp, the bar there, and immediately people start sending drinks over to Aaron. Aaron's drinking lemonade. He's not a big drinker and he never was, but he puts two shots into his lemonade and is treated like a celebrity. And as the time at the bar progressed, Aaron did have a few drinks and he was there with Tim Tebow and a kid by the name of Sean Young, who I believe played tennis for the University of Florida. And Sean Young had become friends with Aaron and I guess they were just hanging out at the swamp. Again, this is one of those places where they have the names and numbers of every player for the University of Florida. So when they come in, they can be treated, I guess, like the kings they are. So I guess they're having drinks and it comes time to leave and Aaron and his crew get up to go. And a manager by the name of Michael Taphorn runs up to the group and he's irate. Tim Tebow and Sean Young described this encounter with Michael Taphorn as an aggressive encounter from the manager of the bar, Taphorn, to Aaron Hernandez. I don't know why they glommed on to Aaron and all this, but they say this manager Taphorn got right in his face. Again, Aaron is six foot four, two forty-five. I don't know how tall Taphorn is or his physical dimensions. It just seems like this manager Taphorn was kind of fed up with the University of Florida Gators and from his perspective, they were trying to walk out on a $12 tab. And from the restaurant's perspective, some of the people there, Ron DeFlippo, who was a manager, another manager or bartender at the place, said that Aaron had said, I don't pay for anything in this town and attempted to walk out. So Tim Tebow and Sean Young remember this encounter differently, that the manager Taphorn was super aggressive with Aaron. When you start a beef with somebody, naturally they're going to tell you F you right back. And that's what Aaron did here. And as the duo walked out towards the exit of the restaurant, the guy just wouldn't stop. And he was very aggressive. And Aaron did what a lot of people would do. I think he hit him with a left jab, knocks the kid down, and Aaron runs off. So the police get involved, and Aaron tells his side of the story and all this. But in Florida, that's a felony. So he was facing a felony charge. And this guy, Taphorn, he was legitimately hurt. He got a broken eardrum, I believe, in his left ear from this punch that Aaron threw. But after talking to the police... The university calls the ownership of the bar where this happened, the swamp, and Taphorn himself, and said it's in everybody's best interest that this go away, and if the bar, the swamp, needs anything from the team, just let us know. So I think the implied threat there was, we're going to pull all of our players from there if you continue with this line, where you're going to prosecute our players. And Urban Meyer is like the president of the United States in Florida, right, at that time. Anything he wanted, he'd just have somebody else call the bar. 
These people from the university didn't even identify themselves. But the management of the swamp got the message loud and clear that this had to go away. So they went to Taphorn and asked him to drop the charges, and he did. And the agreement was that Aaron would have to come back and apologize to Taphorn, and he could come back into the bar and all this. And Hernandez did come back, but in kind of a foreshadowing-type episode, Aaron drives by with a bunch of friends, points his finger out of the car in a gun motion, and is kind of like pulling the trigger at the bar. And the manager of the bar ended up calling the university and said, you have to get Aaron under control. And Aaron never came back to apologize, but did come back to the bar and probably never paid for another drink again, right? So that episode was totally squashed. So this incident at the swamp seems tame by comparison. And I believe the Gators that year would go on to set a record they weren't very proud of. They had the most players arrested in college football, really. The place was out of control. It may still be out of control. I don't know. Urban Meyer isn't there anymore, but those kids, when you give them that type of cock blanche to act how they want, then you throw in some alcohol, you're going to have problems. And there was always this push and shove, give and take, a dichotomy, if you will, between the players and the locals. And this guy, Taphorn, who worked at the Swamp, was a local. And I can see where these kids being treated like royalty, not having to pay their tabs. Because when you don't pay the tab, you also want to know what happens. The waitress doesn't get paid, right? So not a good scene. All right. So that was the first instance of violence with Aaron when he was playing for the University of Florida. The second one started after a loss to Auburn. The Gators had lost to Auburn 20 to 17. And the players were out at another club called Venue. It was very popular with the football players after game day. And there was a whole crew of University of Florida players there. And again, there's this tension between locals and players. And it doesn't always go well. And it would go poorly this night. And I get it. Aaron's a grown man at this point, 17, 18 years old. But somebody from the university should have kept closer tabs on him. He should have been on some type of probation for the incident at the swamp. And he should not have been going out to these places where alcohol was served. But that didn't happen. So among the players for the University of Florida at venue that night were the Pouncey twins. That's Marquise Pouncey and Mike Pouncey. They're in the NFL now. And the bouncer, at least according to the book that I've used for some research here, the book is named All-American Murder, The Rise and Fall of Aaron Hernandez. And the author spoke with the manager of venue. And the manager of venue said that the Pounceys, again, who were still in the NFL and have a bit of a reputation, were always spoiling for a fight at venue. Okay. And Aaron Hernandez with Pouncey twins. So that's three. And then there was... Reggie Nelson, who had graduated previously from the University of Florida and was a current NFL player with the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
there were also a couple local kids, and those kids were Corey Smith, they called him Squirt, Randall Kaysen, and Justin Glass. These guys were locals, and they had previously had problems at venue as well, and it would only be a matter of time before these groups would square off. There seemed to be some type of beef over a gold chain. People thought it was squashed in the parking lot, but venue was a place where people would fight. They'd fight in the parking lot afterwards. And quite frankly, I believe that attracted Aaron Hernandez to this place. And all this is going down between the locals and the players. And as soon as one of the other players arrived, Aaron filled him in on the gold chain incident. And it kind of just escalated from there. The original beef had started a week or two earlier where somebody had gotten their change stolen. And I believe it was the Pouncey brothers who had went up to one of these locals and said, I want my effing chain back. And that's where this encounter really began. So this fight or argument, whatever it was in the parking area, seemed to have been broken up peacefully. Squirt and his crew went off driving Squirt's car and... The players, the football players, took off in one of their own cars, and Aaron Hernandez was naturally with them. So, Kaysen, Squirt, and his crew departed in one car, and there's kind of a stroll near the stadium and the club venue where people would be getting out of all these bars. It's the probably last opportunity to see some girls engage in conversation and all this. But the people in Aaron Hernandez's car had several guns, one of which had serial numbers filed off and all this. So Kaysen is actually driving the vehicle, and he spots Aaron Hernandez and the rest of the football players following him. So Kaysen alerts the other members of his crew. He says, hey, those football players are following us. And he's kind of jammed up in traffic because, again, this is that stroll after the bars get out. So Kaysen alerts his crew that's in the car that something's wrong. He sees the people he described as being Aaron Hernandez and Reggie Nelson. They had exited the other vehicle that the football players were in, walked up to Kaysen's car that was full of these locals, really. And then Hernandez and Nelson shoot through an open window just start blasting with no further engagement, just start shooting. So Hernandez reportedly runs away along with his friend Nelson, and now this car's all shot up. The people in the car are shot up. So Corey Smith, the kid they call Squirt, was driving his Crown Vic, and he had been struck by a bullet in the back of his head. They pushed Squirt over and drove the Crown Vic to the hospital. At the same time, they saw the Tahoe that Aaron had been in taking off towards the highway. And they went to the hospital, and Squirt had definitely been shot in the head, and they didn't think this kid would ever be the same. So at the hospital emergency room, people go out to bring Squirt into the hospital, and he's bleeding so much, they said it looked like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the car. They bring him in, it doesn't look good. The words the police would later use was that Squirt was circling the drain. And that's to be expected. You're shot in the back of the head. So the Gainesville police begin their interviews right at the hospital. And 
right away a detective's called in, a detective from the Gainesville PD by the name of Patty Nixon, who was supposed to be a pretty sharp tack within the department, took the lead in this investigation. And almost immediately, the guys in Squirt's car told the officers about the beef they had with the football players back at Venue Nightclub. So that was the Pouncey twins, Nelson and Hernandez. I believe the bars had been getting out around 1.30, 2 o'clock. And it was just after that that this shooting had occurred on that strip, on the stroll there by the swamp. So at 6.30 in the morning, Detective Nixon calls the University of Florida Police Department and tells them what they have. And she's immediately put in touch with representatives of Urban Meyer's office. And it was at that point that the police gave a description of one of the people, you know, well over six foot tall, light skin, all that. And somebody at the coach's office said, yeah, that could be Aaron Hernandez. So they had all these people. They knew about who was involved almost right away. And now Detective Nixon says, hey, listen, I need them to come down to the police station right now. I need them right now in the police station. This looks like this is going to be a murder. And at a minimum, it's an attempted murder a slaughter really in public, right? So the police are pretty ginned up about this. So the university representatives say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to do just that. It took four and a half hours to get the players down to the police station, right? I don't know if they showered. I don't know if these kids were tested for gunshot residue, but I got to tell you, four and a half hours and they admitted to already speaking to university lawyers and all that. And Detective Nixon says, hey, speak to all the lawyers you want. You're coming into this interview room right now. And like in any other instance, I think they would have sent out a SWAT team to go get these kids. But it's the University of Florida Gators. And they kind of run the show in Gainesville, right? So this investigation goes on for a while. but. The players do end up coming into the police station for their interviews. And if you've ever seen any of these crime shows, they kind of let them wait and stew and think. And they did that to Aaron Hernandez. And you know what Aaron did? Put his head down and fell asleep. And, man, it's just so vexing. This should have been the last instance of violence from these guys, but... Nobody would cooperate. So they tried to speak to Aaron. They walk into the interview room. Aaron wakes up, you know, very nice of him to do so. And he wakes up and says, I want an attorney. Everybody else does the same thing. The Pouncey twins and the guy Nelson who had played for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Naturally, they're not going to speak, right? But if these kids didn't shower, wouldn't there have been gunshot residue? And what about the vehicle? Was the vehicle ever tested? Because gunshot residue is transferable. So you're not getting cooperation from the players. And there's more to this story. And I suggest you do read the book, All-American Murder, The Rise and Fall of Aaron Hernandez. It gets into detail, right? But the kid who was shot really couldn't provide 
any information. His brain was kind of scrambled here naturally, and nobody else is cooperating. So the thing that remained to me, though, one of the kids in the locals car, Randall Kaysen, fingered Aaron Hernandez directly. He said Aaron Hernandez shot into the car. And the other kid, Nelson, shot in there too. They don't know who did what, but it's still, you know, it's a joint venture homicide if the kid dies. But Squirt ended up living, right? And again, months go by. He can't really provide a composite. He actually does go down to the police station, try to help. But the composite he gives looks nothing like Aaron Hernandez. So now you don't have the victim testimony. The participants aren't telling you anything. There's no probable cause to arrest. That's why I'm kind of thinking about the gunshot residue in the Tahoe and all this. I guarantee you, if you tried to slap the cuffs on one of these guys, the Pounceys or whomever else, they're not going to give up their career for Aaron Hernandez. And they would have talked. But I don't think they were put in that position yet. And the case kind of just went away. And it's kind of amazing to me. I don't remember any of this in the media whatsoever. All of those people should have been thrown off the team immediately. So in a strange twist, the kid that got shot, Squirt, was actually the straight arrow among this group. And I think he was married. He had a child. He was working full time. And the others weren't. The other guys were involved in street crime, I'll just say. I don't know what their affiliation was with organized groups and all that. But they say Squirt was a straight arrow and was just out for a night out. He ends up with a bullet in the back of his head. He has recovered. I don't know to what degree. But, man, it's just so many question marks with this case. Did the university cover it up? I mean, they had that four-and-a-half-hour delay between getting the players down the police station and having them speak with attorneys and all that. So I don't know. No charges were ever filed in this case, and I don't think the players suffered any discipline within the university for it, and that's hard for me to believe. So in what would become a pattern in Aaron's life, he seemingly commits these crazy acts, these despicable acts, and goes back to normal life. All the players went back to practice. They went, again, never disciplined. And they just continued. In 2008, Aaron began his sophomore year. And he did quite well at the University of Florida. I mean, massively well. The Gators in that year had lost only one game to Old Miss. And they were going to the championship game at the end of the year in Miami. They ended up playing... Oklahoma, another powerhouse in the league for the championship game. And the Gators ended up winning this game 24-14. And it was a hell of a game. Aaron ended up with several catches and about 60 yards in total. And Tim Tebow had a great game. And now things kind of sour a little bit more at Aaron's home. A couple days after the championship game, which I'm not sure if anybody in the family went to. But shortly thereafter, Aaron's mom, Terry, married the guy she had been having an affair with on Aaron's dad, Jeffrey Cummings. 
And Aaron simply wasn't happy about that. He didn't attend the ceremony. And man, it's just a lousy thing to do to your kids, really. So as 2009 rolls around, Aaron hires a company to represent him, and they send him out to the West Coast to prepare for the NFL's professional combine. So he's doing all kinds of stretches and all this. Aaron had hurt his back a little bit at the end of the season, and that was an issue, but he did pretty well at the combine, and other people didn't really do that well. Tim Tebow didn't do well in the professional combine, and it was believed that Aaron's behavior at the University of Florida knocked him down several pegs or potential pegs in the draft. But people wanted to talk with Aaron. They knew he was a freak, you know, athletically. So they didn't need to watch those films. They didn't need to see him run or jump or anything else that they make these guys do. But they did want to speak to him. And several teams, many teams lined up interviews. You'd have 15 minutes to speak to the player. And some of the comments that came away from Aaron's interview was that he is kind of unstable, a bit shaky, a follower. Those are some of the comments describing, adjectives describing Aaron Hernandez. And even more than that was the people he'd hung around with, the word from University of Florida. And the NFL, I'm going to tell you, they hire private investigators. They're basically spy-level people, right? And they develop this information. Some of the information developed about Aaron Hernandez is whenever there's a violent episode around campus, there's Aaron Hernandez. And there were rumors going around that Aaron was a sworn gang member. And so naturally, the interviewers ask about this stuff, and he downplays it. And Aaron was a habitual smoker of marijuana. Like I had stated previously, he had never really got into alcohol. But marijuana use was, I don't know, an hourly thing for this kid, right? There's reports that he'd smoke an ounce of weed in just a few days, and that's a big bag, guys. So there were some massive questions as to his character and he didn't do well in these interviews, and it kind of left a bad taste in Aaron's mouth, but probably even a worse taste in the NFL scouts' mouths, right? And the marijuana thing, I don't know how much concern it was for the NFL. They just needed him to pass a background test. One of the sports writers that was quoted in this book, All American Murder, stated that, you know, 75, 80% of the league smokes marijuana to deal with the bumps, bruises, and constant pain of the game. So it was kind of hard to hold that against the kid, but if he got popped on a drug test, now you're suspended. You get popped on another drug test, you're suspended for the whole season. And they weren't sure this kid could hold it together in that vein for the required amount of time, right? At a certain point, Aaron makes a plea to the Patriots, right, stating that you could test me for marijuana use, you know, on a bi-weekly basis. But it was kind of a scam because Aaron would have already known that the Players Association doesn't allow that. They can only be tested at certain predetermined times during the season. So you have enough time to get off marijuana, I guess, and pass the test. But he had kind of impressed upon the Patriots that he wanted to be there and all that. 
And I'm not going to withhold the fact from you that the New England Patriots ended up drafting Aaron Hernandez despite all these bad marks against them. I don't know if they specifically got into the gang ties and all this other stuff, but we're running out of time, guys. So I think I'm going to have to leave you there on this episode. We're going to have to do something we haven't done previously in terms of the history of Boston Confidential. We're going to have to come back for a round three, a third episode on this case. And in this third episode, I'm going to take you from the beginning of Aaron's football career with the Patriots through what happened to these other shootings, Odin Lloyd's conviction and everything else. And it's a quick jump, but there's a lot of information there. So I'm going to leave you there and we're going to get on to the next one for you. Next week will be part three of the Aaron Hernandez saga. I told you there was a lot of information here and I bet there's some of it in here you didn't know about. If you need to get a hold of me, give me a shout at barry at bostonconfidential.net and I'll get back with you. Otherwise, I'll see you on the flip side. <laughs>